station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick, joined as always by my co-host, movie gunslinger, Melissa Kersher. Hello. And movie, we're going to say pop gunslinger. Yes! <laughs> oh my god, those are my favorites. Jenna Young. Hi! Hi, and we are here to watch A Fistful of Dollars. So, uh, pop gunslinger Jenna. Yes! Uh, you get to start by telling us what you know about A Fistful of Dollars. Okay, so... This is a spaghetti western, and there is a lone fighter who goes into a town, and there's two rival families, and he pits them against each other, and then he wins. The end. <laughs> <laughs> You've been paying attention. Well, we did tell you that we were going to watch a movie that was basically the exact same yes. story as Yojimbo, uh -huh. and yes. that's exactly the same story as Yojimbo. Ta-da! I and got this, you It guys. is a spaghetti western, so I'm going to challenge you now by saying, what uh, is a spaghetti western? A spaghetti western is a western that was uh, filmed in Italy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Bam! Yes. Nicely got done. Got it. Right. Yeah, so... I this, can learn things. <laughs> this is a film uh, made by Sergio Leone, who is probably the best director of spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Uh, certainly the best known to... Uh, to American audiences, uh, mostly for the, a film called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, mm -hmm. um, which is the third in a trilogy that starts with A Fistful of Dollars. Uh, so, But the reason we're watching A Fistful of Dollars is because it is, in fact, an adaptation of Yojimbo. Not that Leone said it was an adaptation of Yojimbo, and we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. But well, this is an adaptation of Yojimbo, which, as we discussed earlier, is sort of an adaptation of Red Harvest. Um, so, uh, Sergio Leone had in, in his trilogy, it's, it's, it's tied together not so much by like a narrative. It's not, it's not like the Star Wars trilogy where there is a narrative through line. It's tied together by the main character, yes, which is played by Clint Eastwood in the role that pretty much made Clint Eastwood, Clint mm -hmm. Eastwood. Uh, so this is our first time that we see this character and uh, and then he he develops in the next two films. I, I but uh, which we, and I'm sure we'll at the very least we're going to get to the good, the bad, and the ugly at some point. Oh yes, uh, I hope but, so. uh, <laughs> but I want to see it. I I have it on Blu-ray and it is pretty. So yes, we need to watch it. Yeah, and we'll talk we'll talk about uh, there, there's there's some amazing style stuff that Leone does mm -hmm. in his films. I personally, my favorite Leone film is actually Once Upon a Time in the West, which <laughs> is uh, something that we'll have to get into when we've got a lot of time because it's pretty long. Oh, it's very long. Oh, well, so it's uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, that's true. This, then, the Yojimbo is actually pretty short. I think it's shorter yeah, than. Uh, sorry, it, not Yojimbo. It, I think uh, Fistful of Dollars is shorter than Yojimbo. It, it's it comes in at about an hour forty-five. Yeah, it's pretty trim. It's, it's pretty it's trim. It's pretty trim, pretty yeah. compact. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this if you watch Yojimbo and you watch uh, Fistful of Dollars right right after one another, it's pretty clear they're telling the t the same story. Um, but told very differently because uh, Sergio Leone has a very distinctive style about him. He does, mm -hmm. just as Kurosawa. Oh, has. indeed, indeed. So that's what makes it interesting, and that's why I think we wanted to do this is because you watch two brilliant—I mean, absolutely brilliant—directors take the same story and 
they're both they're both making a western, right? They're taking mm. a noir <laughs> and they turned it into a western, and Kurosawa turned it into a Japanese western, <laughs> and Leone is turning it into an American western through an Italian lens, <laughs> uh, and yet. It's the same story, and so what makes it really interesting is to watch both of them and see the differences between the two, yes. which I'm sure we will discuss when we come back from watching the movie. So maybe we should just do that. I okay. think so. Let's go watch the movie. You Yay! should watch the movie, too. I mean, if you're doing this right, that's what you should be doing right now is right. watching the movie, hitting pause and watching the movie, and then, then coming back you, like we do. You should hit pause now. Bullets have been fired from guns. Many <laughs> bell ringers have cackled annoyingly. Oh, God. At least. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we have returned, having watched a movie that is, uh, as we said before, a whole lot like Yojimbo. Oh, my God. <laughs> Indeed, so much like Yojimbo. <laughs> a whole lot like. So, like, Jenna, what did you think? Well, um, the races were different. <laughs> it's true. Very. True. Everybody and in the other movie was Japanese, and yeah. there were people here that were theoretically Mexican and theoretically yeah. American, although, yeah. no, I, I mean, they're, well, we'll get into how this film is shot in a little bit, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I can say that for it. Different races. <laughs> uh, otherwise, yeah, that story was pretty fucking spot on. Like, like there, down there were to... Yeah. The the tearing down of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Was, was there... There were six in both of them, right? For that house, the number of people that were killed. Yeah, I didn't count six, in this yeah. one, but I'm pretty six. sure it's six. I think it was six yeah. for both. Uh, Although the, this one added the, the cat. Oh, yeah. Ooh. No, I, I, did, I did appreciate the cat. Don't yeah. get me wrong. And there was no thank you note. There was no thank you note in this one. There was no thank you note. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, to opening at the, the water... Hole with the with him drinking water and mm-hmm. uh, like slightly different twist. We got to to meet the uh, the estranged family uh, beforehand, and there wasn't a you return to your family type thing. It was just oh, these characters will come back later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, like a lot of the characters were the same mm-hmm. in both of the families. Uh, I didn't hate the. Was it the the um, the the secondary fail the the one that gets killed off first? I didn't hate them as much in this one as I did. Yeah, the, the yeah. You don't really learn much about we them. Don't, yeah. We don't. We don't really know. hang out with them much. Yeah, both both sides of bad guys are kind of anonymous, really. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly mostly it's the Rojos that that yeah, yeah. And, and the one brother especially who we yeah are shown is especially bad. Yes, he is the extra bad one. He comes with extra bad sauce. <laughs> um, We're just kind of told that the other family is equally murderous. And, but, and, yeah, mm-hmm. we don't see a lot of it, so it's like, well... Um, but, yeah, so I didn't... I like that the the, the smoking them out of the house and the, the all of that. Like, I was like, oh, like... 
I don't really hate them enough to get into this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, well done chasing them out of their home and killing them all as they flee. Like, congratulations on a well-executed plan. Um, but yeah, I was just like, Ugh. you know. Although yeah. I will say, in Yojembo, I it, it seems the the way they kill off that other family is particularly brutal, and right. it is yeah. brutal here too. And whether I like them or not. I, I think you're kind of supposed to feel at that point that, you know, yeah, everybody here is bad, but but there there are there are levels of bad, and <laughs> wow, the Rojos are way worse. Yeah. Than uh, than this other family who are just kind of. Yeah. But I mean, I don't even know the name of the other family. I just I never really got invested in them the, one way the or the Bax- other. Baxter. Baxter. Yeah. There you go, Baxter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yep. Um, there's some money there. there, there <laughs> there's a wife. Mm-hmm. There were no, there, there were far less feet and ankles in this one. True. Yeah. Although, uh, well, although there, there were uh, the ones that were there were filmed in spectacular close-up. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the things that uh, Sergio Leone is known for is mm-hmm. is the, the the extreme close-up, like especially in yeah. the shootout scenes when you're getting like just close-ups of Clint Eastwood's eyes, just the or, eye. or the shot, or mm-hmm. the shot of the the boots. Yeah, yep. and the, and you see the street through the through the boots. He would he would do that a lot to establish sort of this this um, tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know this uncomfortableness because he's so close, he's so tight. You can see the sweat dripping off their nose at yeah. one point. You can count the pores in their face, and and they're very grimy. Like they they could use like those Biore strips, yeah, you know, to clean a little bit. But I I find it very interesting comparing the two directors because uh, Kurosawa and and Leone both kind of shared this. Um, this technique where they would shoot from very far away with like telephoto lenses and and you'd get this tr- these tremendous deep focus shots like right. you'd, you'd have something uh, you you're able to have something right in the foreground and then everything in the background is also still in focus rather than you know having it blur out sure. and, but they used them very differently like Kurosawa used it to film from all angles and capture action as it happened and actors wouldn't know where he was filming from. And so he'd, he'd be able to capture the moment without actors playing to a camera. Nice. Whereas Leone used it as this really incredible, like very dynamic sort of way where, where Kurosawa would avoid close-ups. Leone was all about oh, close-ups. Oh, he loves like, a phone for close-ups. Yeah, let's stick a face right in the middle of the super wide screen, and you can see the vista behind it as well. And um, there, it it's actually less prominent here than in his later movies. This is actually, if uh, this was his first spaghetti western, and. It, some people say it's the first, the first spaghetti western. It's not. There were a bunch of other spaghetti westerns made before this, but this was the first one to really get international distribution, which is why it's so famous for okay. what it is. And but you know what helped its fame is just Leone wasn't really familiar with the way other people filmed movies, and he made up a lot of stuff as he went along, and as such, he gained this very dynamic style that was kind of all of his own. Right. Nice. And uh, yeah. Eastwood, he he was in Rawhide yeah. in America. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty well versed in American westerns. Oh yeah. But 
he didn't tell Sergio Leone that he was doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, like there's that, that, that final showdown where you see Eastwood draw and shoot his opponent, uh, Rojas, and I'm forgetting his his first name, but <laughs> the 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 most evil of the Rojas brothers. Ah, uh, Ramon. Ramon, yes, yes, it's Ramon. <laughs> so he shoots Ramon, and both Eastwood and Ramon are in the shot the whole time. Nobody told Leone that's not the way it's done, because the way it was done in westerns in America is you would see the shooter draw his gun and shoot, and then it would cut to the opponent being hit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Leone's like, well, I'm going to do it all in the same shot mm -hmm. because he didn't know that he couldn't do it that way or that he wasn't supposed to do it that way. Right. So sure. he's kind of rewriting the language of Westerns as he's shooting this film because he didn't really know anything about Westerns other than he wanted to make one. Mm -hmm. um, nice. But, and, and he was surrounded by a crew who similarly didn't know jack shit about the american west <laughs> and so um like eastwood was kind of correcting them on some of the like costuming choices that they made that made no sense and you know nice. some historical stuff um the the look that eastwood had was actually mostly all of his own you know he he bought a lot of his own clothes he bought his own cigars and kind of had his eyes and you know the hat was his that sort of thing but uh, that look... He's the kind of guy that brings his own hat to a Western. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But, uh, but yeah, pretty much his career up to that point was a couple of B-movies, including Tarantula. Yay! Yeah! Oh, that Tarantulas and Clint Eastwood! And, and Rawhide. And uh, his, his contract with Rawhide basically said he couldn't do American films while he was doing Rawhide. But it didn't say anything about going overseas and making one, so that's how he wound up making a film with And Eastwood Sergio is like about, Leone. I don't know, he's the fifth or sixth choice to make, oh, yeah. <laughs> to be the lead. Yeah, they, they, asked, they, were, they asked almost everybody who had been in The Magnificent Seven to be yeah. in this movie. Yeah, they talked to like Henry Fonda and James Coburn and, and both of whom were in later Leone movies and yeah, uh, Bronson and every, and eventually they got to somebody who was like no, I won't do it, but you should talk to this Eastwood guy because I worked with him before and maybe he'll say yes, so that's how they kind of stumbled onto each other. Nice. And uh, the rest was history. So, yeah, they go on and, and they make two more films with Eastwood playing. In this movie, he's called Joe. Yeah. Although I always thought that that was just kind of a... They didn't know what the hell his name was, so they yeah. called him Joe. Hey, that, Joe. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Kind of way. Yeah. Um, in, but from here on, he, he's referred to as the man with no name. He's mm -hmm. never named. We don't know okay. what... He doesn't give yeah. a fake name. He just, I mean, he's called Blondie in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, but it's pretty clear that's just kind of a nickname, a nickname. people have given him. And what's interesting, in, and, and again, a, a reflection back on Kurosawa, he uses, Leone will use the same actors... Over and over like, and I'm over, pretty, yeah. It, doesn't the guy... I mean, either, they, either it's the same person, they look very similar, because the guy who plays... Um, the the worst Rojo brother, who I just keep forgetting mm -hmm. his name, uh, Ramon. 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 The, he plays the villain, I think, in a, for a few dollars more. I think I think you looks. might be correct. So, and I think he's, he's also in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and also a, meets a horrible end. And he's a different character. <laughs> yeah, much like the the main bad brother in you know, Jimbo goes on to play a villain in Sanjuro. Mm -hmm. 
but a different character. And then yeah. in in for a few dollars more, Lee Van Cleef comes in and plays a character in that film. He also plays a character in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but it's not the same character <laughs> once again. So right. there's this reuse of actors except for Eastwood's character, who's always the same guy. And it's interesting because they never really tell you a timeline because the good, the bad, and the ugly probably took place before the other yeah. two films. Yeah. Because okay. the good, the bad, and the ugly is set in the middle of the American Civil War. Mm -hmm. And the two films that preceded it seem like they take place after yeah. the American Civil War. But you really they're, don't know because not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're not really specific. They're, they kind of play fast and loose with that. Although, you know, by the time they get to good, the bad, and the ugly, um, they... They seem to have done a little bit more homework on, on what the uh, the history is for, you know, Civil War era westerns. Yeah, just, but just a little bit. No, yeah, I mean not. Not a whole not lot. Not a lot. Not a lot, but, but a little enough. bit. Enough. 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 Mm -hmm. um, the other thing about this movie is it was entirely it was shot completely silent. Yeah. Because it was an Italian film, and, but 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 it's it, it's it's more crazy than that. You know, it's shot in Italy. Mm -hmm. Several of the actors are Italian. Some of the actors are American. Some of the actors are German. Mm -hmm. So everybody's speaking their own language, and they're just going to dub it over. Yes. Yep. With whoever's whoever's lines they need to dub over for whatever country. Mm -hmm. So they shoot the film in Italy. It's released internationally in '64. Mm -hmm. Eastwood doesn't dub his lines until '67 when they're going to release it in America. Yep. So his voice is three years younger, or three years, three years older, older than, than the movie. Then <laughs> that's fantastic. At which point they've already made for a few dollars more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. When when it first came to America, they they released both films together back to back. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. So yeah. this character then goes on to for Eastwood. Uh, he does the Dirty Harry films mm -hmm. fairly soon after these films come out. And if you've ever seen a Dirty Harry film, which you probably haven't, and we'll have to show it nope. to you, uh, <laughs> the Dirty Harry, Harry character is very much sort of an American cop film version of The Man With No Name. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that, that character that Eastwood plays in those films then goes on to really make a big impact on the on the characters he's going to play in American films for about the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Yeah. Eastwood had a streak. I mean, after he came to fame with both Rawhide and this, I mean, his his career just kind of never stopped, it, which is really remarkable. I mean, he, he kept getting acting gigs and, you know, kept being a very popular actor. And then in, like, 1971, he directed Play Misty for me. Turns out he was a rather decent director as well. Yeah, perhaps even a great director, uh, given, yeah, he, given his work yeah. as, as his career progresses. Yeah, like um, he, he has directed probably one of the West, a couple of the best Westerns ever made. He directed Unforgiven. Which is kind of the definitive Western um, deconstruction. Yeah. It, 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 Unforgiven basically takes the character of the man with no name, even though it's not really that character. Yeah. But it takes that character, puts him about 20 years in the future, mm -hmm. when gunfighters aren't really a thing anymore. Oh, nice. Yeah. And 
and it's got it's got uh, Eastwood and it's got uh, Morgan Freeman yeah and Gene Hackman uh, it, um, it is a tremendous movie and it it just deconstructs so many tropes of the western it to, takes the romantic it, notion of the western yeah. and just destroys it yeah it's amazing nice. it's, it's like it's like <laughs> it's like that stick of dynamite he has it. That oh he has, God! You know, he just blows the shit out of westerns in Unforgiven. <laughs> oh my God! That coffin maker character was so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the coffin though? maker character oh. is more fun in this film. Oh, than yeah. In, the, yeah. In, the, in your Jimbo, he's Definitely. just kind of a because you know he's he's the coward that runs away. He, he's like yeah. the the fake Walter Houston character. <laughs> <laughs> He is. He really is. <laughs> he, is. he really is. It's it's, uh, it's the treasure of the Sierra Madre all over again. In the coffin maker. I am the coffin maker. Um, the I, I I mean I find it so striking how similar these films are, and yet they are really different. Oh, the yeah. tone is so different. It's all in the different. storytelling. There's yeah. the I mean, there's a lighter touch. Oddly enough, to Yojimbo, I mm-hmm. think than there is to to a fistful of dollars, which is pretty heavy. Yeah, it, it's um, interesting, you know, watching fistful of dollars, knowing that I mean, it, the the fact that it's a western, and I know Sergio Leone was kind of, kind of ignorant of westerns, but it it's this mile marker in between. You know the the good guys wear white, the bad guys wear black at like the 1930s, and then film noir comes along in the 1940s, and then 1950s and 60s you start getting films like Anthony Mann directing westerns where they're kind of starting to bring like film noir principles into it, and they're getting darker and more psychological. And then this is in between like that and Sam Peckinpah coming in and doing The Wild Bunch like five years later. <laughs> and Where westerns it, get to just, be a little more carefree. I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say carefree, well, but I mean, they're they're almost nihilistic. Yeah, um, all right. I, fair, mean, they, fair I mean, you, you lead into 1970s. Maybe I'm thinking, because in the 80s, the yeah. westerns have a revival, but the western in, in the yeah. 80s is... Is much more rah-rah. Um, Everything yeah. in the 80s was much more rah-rah. Until yeah. Unforgiven. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so, so in the 80s, the Westerns are like, hey, we're all having a good time out here in the West, and we're going to take out the bad guys. The good guys wear white. The bad guys wear black kind of thing again mm-hmm. uh, in films like Silverado and things like that. Still really fun. Yeah. But it, it loses the nihilistic edge that, that it has get, been gaining slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, and then like like we say, you get to Unforgiven, and and Eastwood just yanks the. <laughs> he pulls a plug out of the drain. The plug out, he, just like, he drops the mic and walks away. Pretty much. He really did. Um, pretty much. And he's made several other very very good films. Like I can't remember if he's got two or three uh, directing Oscars. Probably. Oh yeah. Two. Uh, well, you know, he directed Million Dollar Baby. I think he got an Oscar for that. Uh, he did. Uh, back-to-back two films, uh, Flags for Our Fathers and... The Sands of Sands, Iwo Jima. Which were basically the same story told from two different viewpoints on opposite sides of the uh, World War II. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he uh, did yeah. Mystic River. I mean, his list of films that he's directed are pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And he's still directing, and he's in his 80s. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, he just did American Sniper. Uh, I don't, he wasn't up for directing Oscar last no, year, but it was up for Best Picture. No, the film was up for Best Picture. picture. Um. Yeah, I mean, he he just keeps directing, and uh, there you, you go. know he he still is turning out decent movies. Yeah, 
uh, a really long career, but a career yeah. that starts. I mean, it, it it doesn't start, but it 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 gets okay. launched really. Yeah. Yeah. With, with this film. Yeah. Leone, now his trajectory is is different because he doesn't make too many more films. He died pretty young. He yeah, I mean he was working for a couple decades, but I mean he he totals out at like 10 movies-ish. And and the Man with the No Name films plus Once a Time in Once Upon a Time in the West and then another film called Once Upon a Time in America, which is a mobster movie. Which is a mobster in, movie in New York. Uh <laughs> that's pretty much no, nah, there's Duck You Sucker, which mm. which is actually one of my favorites. Um, there's uh, there were a couple of smaller films before this that he made, like uh, was it Return of the Colossus, and uh, I know I'm missing another major one. Um, anyway, I'm just I'm just drawing a blank, but yeah, Duck You Sucker is the one that everybody seems to forget. It's kind of hard to get your hands on, but it stars James Coburn and Rod Steiger in uh, Revolutionary Era Mexico, and James Coburn is a he he's Irish and he's from the IRA, so he's like a demolitions expert, <laughs> and Rod Steiger is unfortunately playing a Mexican. <laughs> oh, but, I can't somehow, but somehow it's glorious speaking of people being playing mexicans we have got to get to touch of evil one of these days yeah um <laughs> anyway see, well, we'll have to wait a little we, we we'll say to... these things and jen is just like i don't know what the hell they're talking yeah, about yeah yeah it's true <laughs> I, I did do touch of evil for um real education noir oh so, yes yeah, real after, education after noir. after a while we can probably revisit it over here yeah yeah because yeah. you know because why not? We can watch noir over here. It's it's okay. We, we oh, it watch. is. Yeah. Well, although now we should just like unite the teams. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime there's a noir, it'll be a real education noir, real education. I don't know how you call it. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> real education that. noir. Yeah. yeah education uh, real. It'd be like a palindrome. A real noir education. Real noir. Uh, mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. Maybe. All right. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think uh, I, an, another thing that I do appreciate is the way that Ramon becomes a character more than again his his counterpart in Yojimbo is kind of he's just obsessed with guns yeah. he loves mm -hmm. his gun I love my gun let me die holding my gun but Ramon by by making Ramon the one who is in love with uh, the mother character yeah. Uh, Marisol. Mm. Was it Marisol in I this film? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, it, instead of being the, the sake maker who shows up in the film, you know, just a couple of times in Yojimbo, it raises the stakes for when uh, the man with no name or Joe or whatever the hell he is uh, decides to help that family. Because now he is directly crossing Ramon. Mm -hmm. And Ramon has been established as by far the most dangerous person yep. that he's facing and he knows it uh and and uh we see that he's again i mean there, there are great things like we see that he uses ramon's own strategy against him when mm -hmm. ramon talks about well you shoot for the heart to make sure you kill him and he's like all right well what i need is armor over my heart because <laughs> yeah. he's not going to try and shoot me anywhere else mm -hmm. 
he's got he he, he that's where he aims <laughs> so he wears armor and and basically disarms Ramon in in a sort of emasculating kind of way mm-hmm. uh, by taunting him as Ramon is trying to yes. kill him using the only technique that Ramon has and it, it's it, there, there there's these nice setups and payoffs later much like Yojimbo but different setups and payoffs yeah 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 so Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, we're probably getting close to the end. I don't yeah, know, probably. Melissa, do you have anything else to share? Oh, we should talk a little bit about Ennio Morricone we and his should. lovely music. Because Ennio Morricone is so amazing. Oh. And he's still working. He's yeah. still is around. Really? Yeah, he's still nice. scoring stuff. Anytime you hear a soundtrack with whistling and trumpet, yeah, uh, there's a pretty good chance Ennio Morricone <laughs> is involved. <laughs> yeah, the, his yeah. best yeah. known is going to be Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Almost everybody knows that whether they've seen the film or not. Uh, I actually think, for a few dollars more, is maybe my favorite of his scores of this this set of three. But yeah, it's it's pretty great. It's pretty, great. pretty much anything. I, I mean, when when any of Marcon's music turns up, I mean, it's so distinctive that I mean, they're they're especially in a '60s film. It it just brings this rush, rush of kind of nostalgia with it. It does. Because there's you know, nothing like an Ennio Morricone they're, score. They're, they, he uses these choruses and these people in the background. Oh, ha, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. You know? <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so compelling. And, and it's it's very over the top and there's, there, like I said, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And um, I love... With the with the man with no name films, I love the the intros with the the anim the, with the really striking like sixties animation, oh, yeah. the really minimalist stuff with the Ennio Morricone music, and it's like oh yeah, I'm I'm on board, I'm so on board yes. to watch this. So, uh, it's yeah, so good. All right, uh, now that we've made sure to spend some time on Ennio Morricone, which is a good point. Yes. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, Melissa? Oh, let's see. Um, Hmm. Did, did I do all of my uh, all my trivia? Yeah, yeah I probably uh, I I probably did. I probably did. Um, just one really no more trivia thing. about this film. No, no, no. Uh, just an observation. I mean, it, it's interesting to me that in this era coming out of Italy, you've got several fairly low budget filmmakers that are made almost completely of style, because you've got Leone, who's who we just saw, and you also have people like Dario Argento and Mario Bava, and you see any of their their visual styles were so striking and so. Um, uh, I mean, it's like it's almost it, it almost doesn't matter what the story is. You just mm-hmm. kind of stare at the screen, go, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" Yeah, and. Um, Leone is kind of part of that. I mean, the other two were working in kind of like spy movies or horror movies and, you know, things that are, that we're used to seeing very glossy. And Leone took the Western, which kind of combines this high gloss kind of approach he had to filming it with all this dust and grime. And sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something you'd, you, you wouldn't necessarily expect a western with that sort of filming associated okay so jenna final thoughts um in yojimbo i felt like the town was truly truly terrorized like like the people were definitely feeling the effects of it and this one i 
I wasn't feeling that as much, but I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, they, they, they really like, don't. They, you don't yeah. even see the town. It's like the town yeah. is completely dead. Mm-hmm. That. Um, There's so, nobody to save except for the woman and like the yeah. coffin dude. Yeah. So yeah, the the Eastwood character is basically like, well, let's just clean this goddamn town out. Let's yeah. just. <laughs> You know, these buildings will still be here, and some new people who aren't such assholes can move in, and maybe it'll all be better. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I but know. I never really got that feeling of him cleaning it out. Like I felt like in Yojimbo that, you know, there there was a certain amount of, you know, and I may as well make some money while getting people to kill each other, kind of a thing. Like whatever. And in this one, I just felt like he was in in it for the money. Like he's still definitely got his own morals, but he was in it for the money. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And a little bit of the messing with the people, too, I think. <laughs> Which is also an angle that plays up more in the future films, too. There's definitely okay. a, a mercenary <laughs> angle to the There's a mercenary the angle, but much like with the Ojimbo, there is yeah. a there is a altruistic... Mm-hmm. Um, there's an altruistic angle that he doesn't want people to know about. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, so... Uh, my final thought is we've now watched the same story twice, so what we're going to do next is we're going to watch the same story again. Yay! Uh, this time it will be an 80s sword and sandal yes. epic that is um, uh, really different than these <laughs> two. Uh, it is a movie called The Warrior and the Sorceress, and it stars, I kid you not, David Carradine. Yes! What? Yes! It is... It is... I don't even. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start with this movie. It's gonna be. It'll. The. It. Just you gotta join us. Okay. <laughs> you know what? And you Jeez. gotta find yourself a copy of the Warrior and the Sorceress. Listen to the podcast. Watch the movie. It's gonna be an exciting exploration of what happens when a completely different kind of filmmaker makes a completely different kind of film. So join us next time on a Real Education. Thanks for listening, and don't forget about a Real Education Noir. Yay. Someday maybe we'll have another another Real Education pod. A Real Education musicals. Ooh, Ooh, yay! That'd be good. Or a real education James Bond. I don't know. Anyway, uh, oh, that'd be fun that because be, that would be finite. I know. <laughs> I was about to say that's that a project. X, has an X end. number of of real education. Anyway, uh, so thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time for the Warrior and the Sorceress. Woo! Bye. Yay! We hope you. Our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a real education. Dee, dee.